Today we've got a special episode of Talking Points with someone who is way more traveled than I am. He holds a lot of different titles, including having visited every country in the world, every baseball stadium in the U.S., both poles, and probably a lot more than I'm missing. Please welcome Lee Abamante. And the crowd goes wild. What what, what other uh, feats did I miss of yours? I just finished visiting every national park in America, too, so yeah. Yeah. I think I've only visited like two. I'm so bad. I've never even seen the Grand Canyon. I've been to like all these random places in the world like Liberia, but never the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon's pretty awesome, man. You should check it out. And Zion looks pretty cool, too. Yeah, Zion is definitely in the top ten. I mean, it, it's one of those things that you don't really go to national parks unless you really make an effort to, except if you, you know, the Grand Canyon's one that people see. But other than that, you have to make some effort, and you yeah. kind of go to remote Have you ever done places. like a cross-country road trip? Several. I, need, I want to do that. I want to get in an RV or something and uh, with a bunch of friends and just, like, go through, like, the Badlands and just really see America. Badlands are killer. And I always tell people the most beautiful part of the world is the southwestern United States, like around Four Corners, Utah, you know, Colorado, Nevada over there. It's just, uh, just spectacular. Amazing. All right. So let's introduce you to our... Uh, listeners who don't um, know your story. So we have somewhat similar storylines. Um, just want to tell the, the brief story of how you became this full-time traveler. Sure. Um, I never traveled as a kid. Um, I did a study abroad uh, when I was 20 years old, basically on a whim, because one of my buddies was going there. And essentially, I uh, called my father up and I was like, Dad, what do you think of me going to London for a year? And he goes, why do you want to do that? And I was like, F you, I'm going, man. <laughs> Where, and, where'd you do undergrad? Uh, Maryland, University of Maryland. And, uh, you know, I went to Maryland because uh, I thought I used to want to get into politics and play baseball. And uh, I was near D.C., big time sports school. And then uh, study abroad changed everything for me. And uh, that really just opened my my eyes and my mind up to different things. I traveled something like 15 countries in Europe that year. I never thought I was going to go to every country in the world. I was just yeah. going around having fun. You know, we were doing the hostel thing, just, you know, drinking in different towns. We, we were 20, so it was great. You know, we didn't yeah. have to have fake IDs. That's a good year to go on study yeah. abroad. Yeah. yeah. My story is similar because I, uh, you know, growing up, my not from a wealthy family. We did Same. the Caribbean a couple times, but that was it. And I remember my friends would always go to London and, you know, I'm one of four kids and my parents were like, we're not going to Europe. Like they just weren't international travelers. And then I studied abroad in Madrid in college and caught the bug and uh, did the hostels, you know, I'm staying in a hostel in Mallorca and just traveling all around. And, and that's really where that seed was planted as well. Yeah, it's easy to get hooked, man, once you get started. And, uh, you know, like you, I never had the opportunity to travel as a kid. Like, uh, my, my family had no money. And we went to the Jersey Shore a couple times uh, to Stone Harbor, New Jersey. And that was, like, my favorite place in the world because it was the only is, place i Which I'd is been. pretty beautiful. Yeah. It was really nice. Yeah. After college, you get a job in finance? Yeah, I got a job at a company called Cantor Fitzgerald, which was in One World Trade Center, the original One World Trade Center. And, uh you know, after uh, after nine eleven, I, I lost a lot of friends and uh, colleagues. Obviously, I lost. And what one of my, you started at Kenner in two thousand. Wow! And, and were you working in One World Trade? Yeah, on the one hundred second floor. Yeah, and uh, you know, on that day, I happened to uh, to be in Texas, and uh, and you know, it was it was the worst of times, as you can imagine. And uh, but it just kind of changed my mindset. Um, that instead of just trying to make a lot of money and do the rat race thing here in New York, like most people were doing, especially at the time, uh, I just decided to kind of live my life. And I actually quit uh, my job in 2002 and then essentially went traveling for two years. But the first year I went to three countries. I went to like Australia, New Zealand and Fiji. And 
that was the greatest thing I ever did. And did you did you go with like a one way ticket and like, um, just, yeah, one way ticket? What was your inspiration? Having like, did you have other friends who were backpackers, or were you, was I, it did you think I, an emotional sort of? Uh, you know, it's funny, my, uh, one tragedy. of my best friends, Jake, he had a job in Wall Street as well, and he hated his job, so I convinced him to quit his job, and we just literally, we flew to uh, Sydney, and we just slow-tripped around Australia, and I tell you, that was the greatest thing I ever did, because it was just, I needed the mental break, mm-hmm. and... Um, had you banked a good amount of money? Yeah, I had sold a, uh, a business when I was younger, um, so even before, I, mean, I started a business in college, and, uh, and I sold that when I was 21. What so kind I had of business? An internet company. And uh, I sold it. Sounds a little bit like porn. Uh, no, it was not porn. <laughs> Although that would have been a, a more it's lucrative, a lucrative business. business right? <laughs> it's only two things that make money on the internet, right? Gambling <laughs> and uh, porn. But and, uh, and credit cards. And credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was um, it was just one of those things, man. And we went down and and just had a, a great time. And um, you know, at the time, also the U.S. dollar was pretty strong. The Aussie dollar was about half what it was, so it really wasn't even that expensive. And uh, plus, you know, I'd worked on Wall Street for uh, two years, so I'd saved some money as well. And it, did, it, did everyone in your life think you were crazy or did oh, people yeah. cheer you on? Oh, yeah. They thought I was insane, but not as insane as the second time I quit my job after I came back. And then I worked for four or five years and I was absolutely crushing it. And, uh, you know, come 2008, I was just tired of it. I was just yeah. burnt out. And um, I had, in 2006, I'd started my website, leahbamonte.com, and I decided that I was basically going to try to go to every country in the world because I'd already been to about 120 or something at the time without really trying. And then you kind of got to put some effort in to go to like Somalia and yeah. like Sudan and places like that. So uh, I'd gotten an email about this record to be the youngest guy to ever do it. And I was just like, wow, I was like 27 at the time. I was like, wow, I can do this. And I got some money in the bank. I might as well uh, give it a run. But I was not really in a rush. And I always say if I would known it was going to be a thing, I would have done it a lot did sooner. You, but did you know the age of the record guy? Like, did you have a certain time? Like, I got to do this in four years and two months? Or yeah, like? but it was 11 years at the time. Oh. He, he was like 38 uh, and change so that when he had done it. And I was like 27 at the time. Got it. So, you know, it's 08. The financial crisis hits. You're like, peace out, New York. You know, I, so I, what, what was did you did you put together? OK, I've got to hit what, like 71 countries. Here's a ranking of or did you start doing a whole route or the funny thing was I quit my job in August 2008 and I looked like a genius because a week later, like everything just totally collapsed. Yeah. And I, I was working at Merrill Lynch at the time. And then that kind of ceased to exist, uh, at least in its. Oh, so you quit right before the whole. Yeah, uh, it wasn't because I was super smart or anything. It was just kind of luck. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and then I, I went enrolled in business school. I got an MBA, um, but I did that to have free time to finish going to all the countries. You went to Thunderbird, right? Correct. Yeah, in Arizona, which and is super international in itself, right? It, like it was the number one international business school in the world. So, in my thought, I was d- going to do something positive, so I didn't have like a two year gap on my resume where I was just you know screwing off basically. <laughs> and uh, you know, who knew it would turn into uh, what it turned into? So, did you start when you went to Thunderbird? Did you start checking off countries? Yeah. So you knew at that point. Let me start just banging these out, like. Yeah, because Thunderbird was on trimesters. Well, I mean, business, I mean, business school is basically like adult adult study abroad. I mean, you know, like travel. Business school students travel more than I do. I yeah, it was a bit of a joke uh, school-wise. I mean, and, and I won't say I learned much, but I made some great friends and had a good time. And I had three or four months a year to travel. Yeah. So then, you know, you do two years of business school. How many countries did you knock off there? Did were just you, about all of them. Oh, and, so that um, was when you did most. Yeah, of them. I did a lot because I had like four month breaks. Yep. So just literally, that's where I did all of West Africa and, and Central self, Africa. And you self funded everything, paid for everything. 
So let's spend a lot of money. <laughs> you know, I, I want to try to avoid the worst place, the best place. I hate when people ask me those questions, but I do know, you know, especially traveling around Africa and some of the more, you know, they're lawless nations, right? <laughs> what were precautions you would take before each trip? You didn't have security guards, right? So the, what, the only place I ever had a security guard for was in Afghanistan, and that's because I went during the war. Um, and there's a couple of places I probably should have done it, but uh, chose not to. But my kind of precautions were in the research, and I would just research when I was going to, you know, the quote-unquote bad places um, that had potential danger, I didn't know anything about them. And there's not a lot of stuff out there. So, you know, I would check the State Department website, but as most people listening to this probably know, they say, like, Mexico is dangerous, like, don't go there. So, But you take certain things into consideration, and I actually registered with some of the embassies in the places I went to. Yeah, we recommend that, the STEP program, right? It's pretty easy online now to just tell people. Because even in, like, popular countries, you know, if there's a tsunami or something, you know, you want to definitely be registered. Yeah, it was very easy to do, and um, I actually was against it. But one of my friends who I traveled with, uh, she insisted on doing it, and then I started doing it after that. Yeah. And did you ever – did the embassies ever, you know, help you – did you ever actually go to an embassy while you were abroad for help? I went to one embassy when I was abroad. Ironically, it was in Monrovia, Liberia. Where I and just was. <laughs> because I, uh, I ran out of money. I, meaning oh, I ran there out are of, no ATMs correct, in Monrovia. Correct. There's no ATMs. They, not, they don't work. In the goddamn country. It's crazy. <laughs> and so I, I didn't have any cash on me. Of course, I had, you know, I had money in the bank, but I couldn't access it. So um, what ended up happening was, at the time, this was like 11 years ago, and in 2007 or eight, whenever right. I was there, they... The only place in the country that took credit card was the Brussels Airlines office. So what we ended up doing was going to Brussels Airlines, buying a ticket to, I think it was to Abidjan, because they flew from Liberia to Abidjan, Ivory Coast. And we just asked them to charge us like $1,000 more than it costs and just give us the money in cash. And they agreed to do it for a 10% fee. Oh, wow. So that, that yeah, was that my ATM. pay whatever, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to get out of there. <laughs> I, the one that I found this past week was uh, $7, and the max you could take out was 2 I guess a 3.5% fee, which my, my bank refunds anyway. But it was like when I found that one ATM that actually worked, it was like – but actually they have a casino there. We went two, two nights to this, this random casino in Monrovia, and we actually had a really good time. I think that's the hotel I stayed in because it actually had the a Palm casino. Palm Springs. Something like yeah. that. <laughs> oh, one other thing about the embassy, when we went there – to ask them if we could use the ATM. So they took us in, and there was an ATM literally behind the desk, and they wouldn't let us use it. I was like, wait a minute, I'm an American citizen. And so the only time I've ever actually tried to use an embassy, they wouldn't help me. And they said, because I'm not like an official government like employee or whatever, I was like, are you kidding me? That's <laughs> absurd. And so how do you define countries, right? There's a lot of different ways people slice and dice and argue about it. Can you talk a little bit about the different ways that people define republics and countries and, and what does it count? Does yep. a layover count? What, what was your personal standard for officially checking off that you visited? Sure. First of all, there's 193 countries in the world, meaning 193 sovereign nations, UN member states. Sometimes you'll hear stuff like 195 or 196 or 197. That's people counting places like Kosovo and Taiwan and places like that that are internationally recognized by most countries but not UN members. So there's officially 193 countries. Then there's something called the Traveler Century Club list, which I believe has 325 destinations. Uh, that includes places like Puerto Rico or Guam or uh, French Guiana. It counts mm-hmm. separately than going to France. So it's a more comprehensive list of travel. Wh- where, are, where are you with 325? 321. 
Oh, wow. So what do you got left on that list? The uh, lovely islands of Tristan de Cunha, which is one of the most remote places in the Sounds world. Sounds like the hottest new Hollywood star. Uh, <laughs> Tristan yeah. de Cunha. It's in the South Atlantic. It's um, basically midway between um, South America, Africa, and Antarctica. And it's literally supposed to be the most remote populated place in the world. 200 Would people live there. to get on a tanker or something? There's a cargo ship, um, supply ship that goes once or twice a year from Cape Town. It's six days uh, each way, which sounds awful to me. And then there's a repositioning boat that goes once a year from Ashwaya to Tristan de Cunha, St. Helena. There's and no Ascension. airport? There's no airport, no. And uh, there's not a ton to do there from what I hear. So if, I, if I'm going to go there, it's going to be the last one if I'm going to subject myself to that boat trip. And the other two are Diego Garcia, which is the British Indian Ocean Territory. And Wake Island, both, both of which are government-controlled, so it's really difficult to get uh, permission to go there. I've actually had five uh, trips to Wake Island canceled. So I've been to Guam six times, once to go to Guam, and then five other times to go to Wake Island, and all five times they were canceled. And the last one is uh, the Yemeni Island of Socotra. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, it's supposed to be really nice. The lethal bugs or something like uh, that? They have the crazy trees. I'm not yeah, sure what the, they're yeah, called. Poisonous trees or something. Yeah. yeah. It's so sad what's going on in Yemen right now. It's, it's the worst humanitarian crisis that no one knows anything about in the world. And uh, it, it needs to be stopped. It's, it's embarrassing. So absurd. Yeah. yeah. We, we see, we learn about, you know, the Rwandan genocide. And let's never let that happen again. And all these horrible genocides. And then there's, you know, Syria and Yemen. And it's... it's well, uh, I mean, what Saudi Arabia is doing there is, is oppressive. And I mean, I was just in Saudi Arabia and uh, when Khashoggi was murdered. And, uh, do you ever was, work? Yeah. We, we came out with the same... We, so what Saudi Arabia is doing is disgusting. Disgusting. We came out... I mean, do you ever worry about speaking your... I mean, in those countries... Like, I'm not going to Saudi Arabia. I don't care. I'm just... It will take a lot for me to go there. But I wonder even... I mean... You know, the UAE is so closely aligned with them and speaking your mind. Have you ever been denied entry into a country? I've been denied visas a few times, um, but not for speaking my mind. But when I was actually in Saudi just a couple weeks ago, um, you know, I'm in the country when the murder happens and it comes out. And, you know, I was sharing on social media and stuff like that. And then when it happened... I quickly put my VPN on, so yeah. it looked like I was in Europe, and because uh, they track everything, correct. And, and I was, they go through your text messages, exactly. And so I wasn't responding to any texts or emails that I was getting. I, I got emails from, you know, U.S. national cable news channels, like asking for comment and stuff like that. What's it like being in Saudi during this uh, crisis? And I refused to answer. It's like, of course they don't have the, new, you know, or they they have the news. Oh, is that Saudi's being poorly blamed for this. I love that response. Oh and god, that whole thing disgusting. was just an embarrassment. Okay, and then back to so, how do you classify? So, is a do you have to spend a night in each place, or were, did some countries you visit for the day? Like, how'd that work? Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, a visit counts when you think it counts. So, like, some places are good for a day; they really are. Yeah. Like, I always kind of jokingly say, if you've been to Chad, like one good one day is is good there. Yeah, but Zach, uh, Zach on the Point Sky team just went to Chad, and uh, yeah. I think he was two days there. And I think he was ready to come home. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie; it's not a very nice place, yeah. but I mean. I mean, at the same time, uh, places like India or Brazil, like, uh, you know, a, a month is not enough time right. because it's such a big country. It's like uh, there's so many places to see and so many things to do. So I always say whenever you're satisfied with a, a visit, it, it counts, so to speak. But at the same time, I always use shorter visits as an impetus to go back because you got a taste. And then, you mm -hmm. know, you could see if you want to go back to that part of the country. And then I would always use it to go to somewhere else the second time I visited. Having visited every official country, are there any themes that were recurring no matter where you went or 
lessons learned through, you know? I would say that the, the thing that I learned the most is that people around the world are basically good and the same. And, uh, and I always say this, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, just because the the government of a country uh, gets tarnished on the cable news or like whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean that the people of that country are like that. So when you actually talk to the real people, um, that's when you get the real feel for the country. Uh, I always use an example of Libya, which I I went there during the war and I actually got shot at at the border, which is a uh, another story for another day. But once I finally got in there, I've never been treated better right. and more kindly than uh, the people of Libya. And I'll never forget that. And this was during uh, Gaddafi was still alive. He was on the run. And this was during the, the war when there was totally lawless. And I've never been treated better in my life. And I'll never forget it. I totally agree with you that meeting actual people, that's what breaks down barriers, right? So, if, you know, and, and I respect people who will boycott swaths of countries or whatever. But are there any countries that um, you won't go back to at all? Well, it's, it's funny you say that. I always kind of looked at myself as an ambassador for the American traveler because I'm sure you know that Americans don't necessarily have the best international reputation, especially uh, that they don't travel. They don't leave the country. So when people would meet me and they would find out I'm American, then they would talk to me and they would find out that, you know, I'm educated and I know what I'm talking about and I've been around. And uh, But not only that, but I know things about the places I'm in because a lot of people just go places and they don't do any research. They don't know anything. Um, so I always took it upon myself to kind of represent the American traveler when, when, I, when I traveled. And in terms of going back to places or not, I probably won't go back to Saudi Arabia. And uh, I was actually doing a consulting project there, and I'm no longer uh, doing that. And yeah, Richard Branson just backed out of his thing too, right? And yeah, he did, like yeah. And I, really, I applaud that. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't want to pretend like I'm on a moral high horse because there's a lot of places that, um, you know uh, – mess with human rights. I mean, I've been in North Korea. Our country's to, done some pretty wicked things. Right. And yeah. our country's not exactly <laughs> yeah. perfect. And, you know, I go to China a couple times a year yeah. and, you know, other countries. Where do you, it's hard to, where do you start drawing the right, line? Right. Where do you then? draw the line? So I always just look at it as, like I said, a, a personal representative of myself and my country. And um, there's no place that I wouldn't go back to except probably there. Um, I was... Well, I'm not going to say what I uh, had my worst experience in because then people are going to go crazy on me. But um, I want to go back there specifically to have a better time because I know it was possible. I just had a bad experience. What continent? You got to give us a hint. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, it's, it's pretty public out there. It was Nigeria. I yeah. had, um, I, the, the police came up to me and my friend three different times on the streets and uh, basically demanded money mm. or they would throw us in jail. And, you know, you're in their country. They're the cops. They have guns. And uh, they can say whatever they want, essentially. So you kind of have to acquiesce to them. And then I'll say this about that trip as well. Three times I went to the ATM. How many times have you been to the ATM in your life? Like thousands, right? Yeah. How many times have you gotten the wrong amount of money? Like, never. Never. Okay, three times in two days. Three times in two days, I went to the ATM and got the wrong amount of money. And it wasn't like I asked for $100 and got 99 It was like I asked for 100 and got, like, 6 So, so you know, three times that happened. Yeah. And, of course, uh, you know, there's a camera right above you. And yeah. I, I go into the, uh, the the branch or whatever. And I was like, oh, excuse me, sir. You know, I got the wrong amount of money. Uh, you can yeah. check on the camera. And then, of course, they're like, oh, the camera doesn't work. And I'm like, really, man? You uh, know? <laughs> so did your bank in the U.S.? 
I uh, I don't it's even remember what I ended yeah. up doing. I like filed something, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't even enough. So, money uh, to, so Nigerians hate when you say that, and they say you're misrepresenting the country. Exactly. But you're like, this is my experience. That's what ha- that's what, what happened to me. I'm I not, tell the truth, yeah. you know. And I have some friends from Nigeria. I mean, I went yeah. to business school with Nigerians, and they were wonderful. Yeah. But that was my experience. Yeah, interesting. So. I do know you've had some amazing travels. You do these trips to the South and North Pole. There, there have been some pretty notable people on yeah. them. I just want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in doing these crazy trips. Sure. Um, well, earlier before we got on uh, on the air, you were asking me about meaningful trips. And um, I'll, I'll tell you the cause and the effect of the most meaningful trip I ever had. The first time I went to the tried to go to the South Pole, that was the trip you're referring to. I had Prince Harry uh, on the trip and a bunch of other um, actors. Old and, Russian old, plane or something? <laughs> yeah, a Illusion um, uh, 76 was uh, what we flew down from Cape Town to Nova Lazarevskaya, a Russian base with a uh, blue ice runway. Now, this is the, the most unbelievable plane I've ever flown on in my life. But uh, what ended up It was happen- a military plane? Uh, mil- cargo plane, yeah. There's literally porta-potties in the back of the plane. Wow. And, uh, no lie flat beds? Like no, the floor? no. No lie flat beds. And uh, even the Prince of England had to use the porta-potty on the plane. And uh, we ended up not making it, to make a long story short. And uh, because there was some favoritism um, by the Russians who controlled the logistics in Antarctica there, and uh, to the prince and uh, and his his friends uh, who he was down there filming something with, and I get it, um, but we ended up not making it, and it was pretty devastating considering the cost of the trip. Boy, favoritism. So what? The, he let the prince go, but not you. Yeah, because there was um, two groups of people. All, even though we were all together, and one of the planes actually crashed. Uh, that takes people from Nova Base to the pole. Like died? People died? No, nobody uh, died, but it was it was not good, and the plane was inoperable. And uh, it's these old World War Two basslers. And, uh, you know, and you've never seen anything like it, but uh, there was only one and they can only take up to about 12 people in them. So Harry's group got kind of priority over us. And uh, it wasn't anything to do with him personally. You know, it's just the way it worked out. And I get it. But at the same time, my group, we all paid a lot of money to go there. And uh, so that was kind of my impetus to starting, you know, doing the trips was because I wanted to uh, sort of recoup some money and uh, and I wanted to go back. And that's basically what I ended up doing the next year. And uh, we ended up making it. And, and when I made it there. And it's like 50 grand to go on one of these trips? Yeah, it's or more than that. Yeah, I almost double that, actually. Oh, wow. Are, and, you, are you going on any no, um, I'm. I'm still. I still work. Uh, you know, with them and and help people get to the the poles. But I'm not uh, going anytime soon. If I do, it would be after climbing Mount Vincent, the uh, the tallest uh, peak in Antarctica, because there's actually a trip where you can combine climbing Mount Vincent and going back hmm. to the pole. I wouldn't mind going back, but uh, I'm not going to go specifically just yeah. to go. So for someone, you know, some young listener or old listener. We're not ageist here. Is thinking about, hey, that sounds cool to visit every country. What are tips to someone who was going to set out and do it? What would you tell them? Uh, number one, save your money because it's uh, it's not cheap. And anyone who says it's cheap um, is full of shit. Mm-hmm. And, and how uh, much money did you carry on you at any given time? I is always that- had cash on me. It, that's why it was such a problem in Liberia because I actually went on that trip. I, I had a couple thousand dollars cash because I didn't know, especially at that time, the ATMs were not prevalent like they are. So I would say cash is king and always have cash on you. And in different currencies and in U.S. have different denominations, especially ones and fives, in addition to 20s. And if you have hundreds, 
past 2006, uh, $100 bills. Otherwise, most countries won't accept mm. them. So have money and then have access to more money at home because things always cost more than you think they're going to cost. I don't care where you're going. I don't care your budget. It's always going to go over. So have that. And then I mentioned before, do research. I would say research, research, research because you want to have an idea – of what you're getting into and what there is to do. But then at the same time, you want to leave time when you're on the ground for things that you hear about or you didn't see on, you know, TripAdvisor or Lonely Mm -hmm. Planet or something like that. Do you trust TripAdvisor? No, I don't. Um, But I... So what do you do? You sip through blogs like of destinations you're going or are there any... I used guidebooks to, you like, or is there anything really that's up to date? I used to sw- I used to swear by Lonely Planet books when I was younger, but now um, I really don't. They're still good for certain things like restaurants, but TripAdvisor is good for restaurants too, or some of the others. But what I when I say I don't trust it, it's not that I don't trust it. I don't trust the people who review it because they don't necessarily have names. You don't know their tastes, and they're different than yours. So, like what I think might be uh, a crap hotel or something like that, somebody else might think is wonderful. You know what I mean? And uh, so, I wish there was uh, a system of knowing who the people were. So, basically, what I do is I ask people who I trust. Um, people who have similar interests and tastes as me and who have been there. And so you use so, like social media? Social media. And at this point, I know a lot of people in the industry, obviously, you know, and people who have been to places more recently than I have. So then I'll just literally ask them or, you know, you do some research. And then, like I said, when you get on the ground, uh, if you ask, like, say, a hotel concierge and what restaurant to go to, or if you mm-hmm. ask if this restaurant you saw on TripAdvisor or one of the others is good and they agree, then maybe you'll go there. So use it as a base, but I don't use it as a rule. Two final quickies. One, are you a window or aisle seat person? Um, if I want to sleep, it's window. If um, I'm just taking like a day trip, then it's aisle. And lastly, what are your thoughts on uh, space travel? Are you going to be on a, a Virgin Galactic flight or do you like it here on terra firma? Well, I, I definitely like terra firma, although uh, admittedly, if, it, if and when it does come to fruition, uh, I'd be hard-pressed to not do it. Um, I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Yeah, I I can't imagine myself not doing it once it becomes an option. Lee, you're the best. Thanks for joining us. And where can people follow you if they want to learn more? And I highly recommend following Lee. Thanks, man. Um, uh, Social media, at Lee Abamonte, L-E-E-A-B-B-A-M-O-N-T-E. And my website is LeeAbamonte.com. Cool. Thanks for coming, Lee, and safe travels. Anytime, my man. Thanks. Again, I'm your host, Brian Kelly, and this episode was produced by Caroline Chagrin and Jessica Rovniak, with editing by Ryan Gavis. Our music's by Breakmaster Cylinder, and a special thanks to Adam Kotkin and Mike Bruno. If you like this episode and want to hear more, make sure you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded this podcast. But more importantly, tell your friends. The more people we have listening, the more episodes we'll make. And if you tag me on Instagram at Brian Kelly or use the hashtag talking points on social media, I might even give you a shout out. See you next week. And until then, safe travels. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 